Welcome to Dear MD to Be, a series devoted to the celebration of diversity among medical students. My name is Mira. And my name is Maham. Today, we are pleased to welcome Dr. Daniel Raza, a family physician with the St. Michael's Hospital of Unity Health Toronto. Hi, Dr. Raza. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, Mira. Hi, Maham. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, I'm a family doctor at the Sumac Creek Health Center, which is one of the sites the Department of Family Medicine at St. Mike's and um, also faculty at U of T and I've, uh, I've been fortunate to hold a couple other roles uh, along the way. Thank you for that introduction, Dr. Raza. Just to start off, we always like our guests to kind of go back and reminisce about their time in medical school, because that's where most of our listeners are now, either medical students, residents, or pre-medical students. So we basically wanted to ask you a little bit about what it was like during medical school, specifically if you faced any challenges in medical school uh, that steered you one way or the other. Uh, and how you overcame those challenges. Yeah, you know, if I had to describe what I was like as, as a medical student, I'd kind of like break it down into three things. Uh, I was confused as a medical student. I was naive about medicine and I was idealistic about, uh, about change. So uh, let, me start, let me start with the confused piece. I don't have anyone in my immediate family that's, you know, that's a physician or that's in healthcare. So I, I, you know, I grew up in you know, middle-class suburban house, you know, relatively privileged background, uh, but I didn't have anyone who, who in my family who came from healthcare. And actually I did my undergraduate, undergraduate degree in engineering. So I, uh, I remember my first week of med school and I was sitting in the lecture hall and I don't remember what, what exactly we were talking about, but um, whenever the professor would ask a question, people would always raise their hands and the answer would always be prophylaxis to every question. And I, I, I was just in the back thinking, what is this, what is this miracle drug prophylaxis and how does it cure and fix everything? So eventually I, I just swallowed my pride and I turned to my friend next to me and I said, Shaz, what, what is this miracle drug prophylaxis? And she had just done a a degree in pharmacology. So she looked at me and she swallowed her laughter and, and she explained it to me. But in the process, the entire class uh, <laughs> turned around to see where that laugh was coming from. Uh, uh -huh. So that was kind of how I started off medical school. I felt a little bit out of a uh, fish out of water. I think it was a bit naive too about, about medicine. I didn't really understand how all the disciplines kind of fit together. Uh, and I think I was also idealistic about about change and I like to think that's a good thing that I've that I've preserved to a large extent now and that's I think been a driving force behind uh, the work that I've continued to do. Thank you Dr. Raza for really being very candid and open about that. I think we all agree and feel some level of confusion and I sometimes still do <laughs> and I would say that I think especially when you describe just feeling kind of like a fish out of water and feeling as though sometimes other classmates kind of knew what territory they were in and kind of knew this field. I feel like I, I have definitely been in those shoes before. What was that process like for you? And, you know, you mentioned that you were very idealistic. Were you ever discouraged at points? And um, how did you kind of figure your way? And I, I should ask specifically even into family medicine as well. And how did you find where your purpose, I'd say, in medicine was? I can recall my experience being one where 
the, um, the selection process selected for a group of students to come from, you know, relatively diverse experiences or what they perceive as diverse. And, you know, at that time, it didn't necessarily focus on, for example, like racial diversity or ethnic diversity, but uh, diversity of experiences. So, uh, and academic experiences. So for example, you know, there was some couple engineers in our class, there was art history majors, there was other folks from non-science backgrounds, people who had done graduate degrees. But then what the process of medical school does is it, it, you know, attempts to select people with mixed backgrounds, but then it kind of puts everyone into like a meat grinder and then produces like identical hot dogs at the end of the <laughs> process. And that can be really difficult if you come into medical school with like a uh, particular purpose in mind, right? And I, uh, and when I mean that, at least in my case, I mean like a, a social purpose or a social mission. Uh, because when I started medical school, I didn't, I didn't find kind of social justice within medical school. I went into me- into medicine as a realization or as an expression of uh, kind of my values and social justice work. You know that wasn't really expressed at all in the in the curriculum, and in the process of being turned into a hot dog, it was like a it was like four years of like a almost like a daily acts of resistance, you know, to, to, to keep that flame alive, keep remembering the reason why I wanted to be a doctor in the first place. And friends and, uh, and my social group were a big, big reason, I think, I, why I was able to do that. Even now, when I'm with an incredibly supportive group locally doing the work that I'm doing in Toronto. I really uh, enjoyed your reflection about being steered towards advocacy work because it was part of your uh, personal beliefs, your upbringing, your values. And I think that's something that Mira and I relate to quite a bit, being steered towards whether it's uh, subspecialty or specialty within medicine or the kind of people that you surround yourself in, in medical school, or even the things that you decide to do uh, outside of medical school that are not entirely academic, being really pushed by your core beliefs. And I also I wanted you to touch a little bit about your journey towards family medicine, because that's always uh, one of the most interesting and fascinating things to us is hearing how people chose their specialty, certainly throughout medical school, but especially as we got closer towards that process. And I, I remember a many of my mentors saying, well, you have to find the people and the specialty that fits, that that seems right. So how how did family medicine fit for you? You know, it wasn't a light bulb moment for me, but it was a gradual kind of realization and gradual dawning that everything I had been doing to that point, that was quote, that was in my spare time, right? All of the advocacy and social justice work I'd been doing as a med student, but even before that, as a undergrad student in engineering, um, all of that work, uh, I had kind of compartmentalized and put aside and made separate from kind of the profession, professional I, I would, or profession I would become as a physician. Uh, and I hadn't really made the connection that, that that was in opposition to kind of how I viewed myself or why I wanted to go into medicine or the potential that you could have as a socially minded physician. But then when I went through my family medicine rotation and I actually saw what the day-to-day was of being a family doctor, of being a community-based clinician, of developing 
longitudinal relationships, which I wasn't doing because as a medical student, you're not there long enough to do it, but you can see how that happens between your preceptors and, and their patients. And I kind of realized that everything I was doing on my, in my quote unquote spare time that I think I had assumed I would continue to do in my spare time, I could actually do as part of my day-to-day work as a family doctor. And for me, that was like a, that was a really big turning point. And I think from there on, I kind of had a different perspective for the rest of my clerkship and for my fourth year and then going right into residency. Wow, I think, um, you know, for all of us, it's really nice to see kind of the culmination of how everything, not always, but how usually everything kind of fits together. And there's that realization point. And I really like how you were able to see that with family medicine, things were still possible. And some of your core beliefs and roots were very much possible and very much um, a daily thing that you could do. I'm also really interested in hearing more about the other incredible training opportunities uh, you've had. So you have a fellowship in global health and vulnerable populations, and you also hold a master's of public health degree uh, from Harvard University. So can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like doing uh, this additional training and how have you used this training in your current work? It's been so much fun. And I think the reason why it's been so much fun is, be, is because, is because the, the reasons I chose to do this extra training uh, have to do with the same reasons why I chose family medicine. And let me just take a step back and kind of maybe explain a bit more about uh, what I mean by that. When I, when I chose family medicine, it was a bit of a surprise to myself as well, you know, because of the direction I was going with my technical training. But I think part of also choosing family medicine was uh, also um, defying the expectations or going against the expectations of, of what others had for me. Uh, I, maybe, you know, uh, you, um, Maham, Mira, maybe you guys can relate, maybe some of your other listeners can relate, but when you're, you know, when you're the child of immigrants who have sacrificed so much, you know, to put you in the position that, that you're in, that also comes with a lot of expectations. Um, I have filled a bunch of stereotypes, you know, the South Asian son uh, going to go do engineering and then going right. to medicine. And uh, my friends and family tease me, when, when are you going to law school and getting your MBA? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think like choosing family medicine was also, uh, was also an, an act or not necessarily an act, but it was, uh, it was me acting in a way that I think was in line with with my, with my, with the way that I saw myself, as opposed to how others saw me or what the expectations uh, were on me, and I remember that conversation with my parents, who I love so much and who put me in a position to succeed, and it was kind of a bit of a surprise to them, and, um, and you know, going against their expectations, and you know, yeah, and it sounds so trivial, right? Thinking and talking about it now. Um, uh, but uh, kind of like doing that also almost freed me to do, to, to kind of just do school for the sake of school. So doing my, uh, doing the PGY3 in global health uh, was because I had, had, I had had this very technical education and I wanted to do something to just really go deep on the things that I wanted to explore. Um, and then I worked for a year locoming um, 
in Ottawa, and then I went, uh, which is the place that I grew up, and then uh, and then I went to go do my MPH for the same reason, and that was really exciting because it, I spent about half of my time doing class in the School of Public Health, but I also did half of my time, spent half of my time doing uh, classes at the School of Government, uh, so a lot of kind of policy classes, and and again, actually going back to my engineering, engineering degree, focusing not so much on content, but tools, right, so like how to write, how to speak, how to construct a persuasive argument, how to think about issues of public policy. Um, and I did that uh, very explicitly because I wanted to develop, uh, you know, tools and a framework for the sort of work I wanted to engage in after the master. I didn't know exactly what that would look like, but I knew this is the area I wanted to move in and I, I wanted to get better at, uh, at some of the skills that I thought that I may need. Totally. I think it's so um, it's so interesting to see when you are really true to your roots, how things kind of come together. And, you know, you touched on having that conversation with your parents. And I think that's really definitely a thing for a lot of medical students, having to explain your choice of specialty, not only to yourself, but to your peers and, of course, your parents and um, being met with certain reactions. And I think um, there's so many things out there, but depending on stereotypes and visions and just having to kind of come to terms with it yourself is hard, but then to explain it to other people can be definitely challenging. What is your advice, um, if any, to kind of students that are going through that phase and maybe kind of having a realization for loving a certain specialty or wanting to explore it, but also needing to navigate talking to loved ones about that and how they might you know, react to that uh, choice. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a tough situation, uh, I think, for a lot of folks to be in because um, we love our parents, uh, uh, you know, so much and our parents have given, uh, in many circumstances, have given up so much uh, for us to be in the positions that we're in, you know, given up their, so their social lives, their close connections with their family, um, and so, you know, I think, you know, kids, kids like me also have this, like, uh, this immense sense of, of, of gratitude and, and, and it almost feels selfish, you know, to go, to go against expectations. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, our parents, they, they want us to succeed and they want us to be happy and they may not know the ways in which that could look that's different than what they what they have in their uh, in their head and you know your this decision which you're making for many folks when they're making as when they're young adults it's one of many other decisions uh, where you'll have to think about your personal values and about staying true to your personal values even when they come in conflict with other people's expectations of you. And I'm not just talking about family. I'm also talking about other, uh, other professional expectations for you. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we know um, institutions in healthcare are making a broader effort to integrate diverse perspective in things like curriculum and leadership uh, and, uh, and other ways that they deliver patient care. Uh, but with a broadening of the types of people that are coming into the institutions, that also means there's going to be a broadening of perspectives and sometimes perspectives that people are not used to hearing or they don't expect to hear. So 
we're, we're going to be put in uh, positions through our whole lives, professional and personal, where we may act in ways that may not be in line with how people expect, expect us to act. So it's just one in a series of things that you'll have to grapple with. And, um, you know, the sooner that you, that we are able to wrap our heads around that and uh, try and align our internal and calibrate our internal compasses, I think the better served that we would, that will be throughout our entire career. Yeah, absolutely. I really relate to that idea of, you know, being even if you're a student voice or you're one of the few uh, diverse perspectives at a institutional table, whether that be in higher education or in a hospital and feeling like you have to try to represent it all uh, and trying to represent all voices and all perspectives at once and feeling, um, you know, kind of like that's your duty, but also feeling guilt for not doing it well enough. Uh, so I, I, I truly like, you know, relate to that. And I think it's a tough thing to navigate. And I think that's where having some kindness and self-compassion and, uh, you know, realizing that your personal experiences and your lived experiences are of true value uh, is, is really important. Um, and I do want to touch on something uh, that you've said that is kind of shifting gears a little bit uh, about your personal thoughts on including diverse voices in medical education, in, in institutions and beyond. That's a really good question. The way that I, that I kind of approach uh, these sorts of issues of, um, uh, of equity and, and diversity is more in the, the work uh, that I do uh, on, from a policy perspective and the, the, folks, that I, the folks that I do it with. Um, so for example, and this may be a bit of a tangent, but um, for four years up until very recently, I was chair of this group called uh, Canadian Doctors for Medicare. And we're a group of uh, physicians from coast to coast and we provide a voice uh, for other physicians who want to advocate for uh, improving uh, and defending the principles upon which Medicare is, is based on. And a lot of Medicare advocacy has been uh, has, has lacked, I think, historically, uh, folks from racialized communities. Um, and it, it's also meant that a lot of the, the um, messaging has, has reflected that. You know, the top line messaging and a lot of the advocacy that, uh, that I do um, has to do with preserving, uh, preserving our healthcare system's principle that medical care is based on need and not ability to pay. Uh, but one thing that I think uh, we need to do a better job on, and I think we started to do this, um, is talking about like, what does that look like? Or how does that operationalize across different groups uh, in Canada and Ontario and Toronto? You know, we know racialized folks and the pandemic has made that incredibly clear, are disproportionately low income, are uh, less well served by the healthcare system as it stands. And if we introduce further financial barriers, folks who are racialized who are going to be, are going to be disproportionately impacted uh, by that. So when I think about issues of race and issues of diversity, I come at it from the perspective of how are we, how can we integrate those better into some of the advocacy work that we're doing that don't 
or haven't historically focused on uh, issues of diversity. Amazing. I think that, um, you know, you, as I was listening to you, I couldn't help but think about what a year we've had, or um, I hate to say it, but almost two years we've had. And, you know, at, from everything between the pandemic and um, what many have called a second pandemic um, and what we've gone through with issues of discrimination and really just impacting certain racialized groups. I'm just wondering how this has been on a daily basis for you, um, especially just working with such an important set of communities. I know that your practice is Sumac Creek Health Center based out of St. Michael's and you work with the wonderful communities of Regent Park, Moss Park, St. Jamestown's communities. Can you tell us more about kind of the advocacy projects that are going on there? Because I know that this year has been quite the year and your clinic has been heavily involved in those kinds of issues as well. Yeah, I'm so fortunate to be part of such an incredible team of healthcare providers across all sorts of disciplines who, you know, really see our job as not only providing high quality, you know, clinical and patient facing facing care, but also tackling these broader issues of um, around social determinants of health and how those are operationalized in public policy. And we've had folks in our clinic who have. Uh, being leaders and taking on issues around uh, the dispro- disproportionate impact the pandemic has had on uh, on Indigenous people in Canada, on racialized people in Canada. And one of the issues that I've been particularly uh, focused on has been the issue of decent work and health through the work I've been doing, especially in the past few months with, uh, with the Decent Work and Health Network. And that's focused on paid on paid sick days and more recently on uh, raising the minimum wage to $20 an hour. And that's been a huge issue for my patients um, uh, who are working uh, low wage, you know, precarious jobs who are driving cabs or uh, or delivery drivers or working in grocery stores uh, who whose health has been hugely affected by the lack of paid sick days. And it's been interesting to watch because that's an issue that we've been working on for years. I think I wrote my, I wrote my first op-ed on paid sick days in like 2013, but it's taken an entirely more urgent focus uh, during the pandemic. And we've seen some progress on it, not as much as, as we've liked, but it's provided an incredible opportunity to focus on the role of of work and employment and what that means for people's health. And um, we're using the conversation around paid sick days to bridge these broader conversations around things like the effect of uh, minimum wage and income and uh, temp agencies on the health and well-being of our patients. Uh, So you've spoken a little bit about the need for policy change for those doing uh, precarious work and truly the intimate connection between employment and health and and the specific work that you and the team that you're a part of has been doing. I'm interested in knowing how others can get involved. So medical students and residents, aside from the clinical advocacy that we do on a daily basis, what are some ways for us to get involved beyond that uh, for policy change? 
two organizations that I can point to. Number one is Canadian Doctors for Medicare, who focus, uh, you know, very much on on the health system and on uh, issues around um, around Medicare. There's actually a Supreme Court case in British Columbia happening right now that uh, CEM was involved in in the court. Now there's an appeal, and you know, there's tons of there's tons of potential in this case, both uh, both good and bad. But I'd uh, I'd send your folks to CanadianDoctorsForMedicare.ca to learn more about the Canby case, to sign up on the mailing list. Uh, so that's, there's opportunities there, not just to to learn about these broader policy issues, but also to get involved in some uh, local initiatives. Uh, and then for people who are based in in Toronto, I'd also encourage you to check out the Decent Work and Health Network, which is. Uh, a really neat organization that's not just an organization of physicians, but is one of health providers more broadly, nurses and social workers uh, that works closely with another group called the Workers Action Centre, which is involved in um, a lot of activism and, uh, and also kind of big P politics around changing the conversation in health and labour and employment. Uh, and those are great ways uh, to develop relationships with people who are doing this sort of work. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. I think especially the interprofessional aspect of the organization as well is something that's so key. And you mentioned not just sustaining you, but I think beyond medical school as well and even beyond residency. So that is amazing. Before we leave you, Dr. Raza, one question we ask all our guests and we'd love to ask you too. I know you mentioned that you graduated medical school over 10 years ago. If you can go back to those days and if you could tell Dr. Raza, the medical student, anything, looking back on your wonderful journey so far, what would you tell him? No, I, you know, I, I would ask, I would tell myself, from the very first day, you know, in the midst of all of that excitement and the euphoria of starting this journey, that it's going to get hard and it's going to get hard more than once. And when it does, talk to your people, talk to your friends, talk to your family, uh, lean on them to help help you get through it and let them lean on you uh, when they are going through the hard times as well and know that every time it'll get better. Incredible. Thank you so much for those wise words for uh, Dr. Raza, the medical student, but also to all of our listeners uh, and Mira and I as well as we embark uh, on a new era of training for the two of us. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Raza, for being a guest. It was such an incredible honor to have you and to listen to all of your reflections and all of your advice. That wraps up this episode. Tune in next time, MD to be.